love the words to that song. There's something about declaring and giving place for Jesus to reign above any and everything that we walk through, go through, to give him place to reign above in our hearts, above our opinions, above our ideals, to reign above our politics, to reign above sickness and disease, to, to reign above it all. It's what he does. It's who he is. He is the King of kings, the Lord of lords. He is alive forevermore, and it is worth celebrating and singing out. I'm so thankful uh, to see you. This is our first Sunday back in the building here at 9.30. And of course, we have three broadcasts online today, 9.30, 11, and 5 p.m. And uh, so today, when you walk away, and maybe you're watching right now, and it ministers something to your heart, you'll be able to hop back on later on, invite some friends, watch with them, and uh, bring a life-giving message into their lives and bring Jesus into their homes. And so we're so thankful that you're tuning in and here with us. And those here, they're going to say amen really loud. And those at home, we, we know you're going to say amen really loud today throughout the service as we lean in to what God wants to say to us, as we lean in and give Jesus permission to reign in our hearts. Uh, today, at the end of our time, we're going to take communion together. And so if you're here in the sanctuary and you haven't gotten your communion elements, make sure you do so. They're right outside the lobby. If you're watching at home, make sure you grab some elements uh, here at Faith Church. Uh, you don't have to be a member of our church to partake of communion. Uh, it's just something that as a follower of Jesus, we invite you into. And so if you're following Jesus, we want to make sure that you get to participate with us today in, in communion. I, I believe God's going to speak to you. Are you ready? Are you ready for the Lord to speak to you? Would you take your hand, place it over your heart, just like so, and uh, would you simply pray this prayer? Say, Father God, open my heart to hear your word. Would you speak to me today from your word that is unchanging, incorruptible, and true? Speak life to me today, and may I never be the same ever again. In Jesus' name. Amen. We'll wave hello to somebody, give somebody an I love you sign, greet somebody in the chat, then you can be seated this morning. today we are going to jump into the word in Matthew chapter 13. If you have your uh, Bible with you, I want to invite you to join me at Matthew chapter 13. Uh, for those watching online, you can join us as well. If you've got your cell phone with you, you can pull it out and go to faithchurchks.org, faithchurchks.org, and you can find a place there where you can follow the notes and scriptures, take your own notes, email them to yourself afterwards so that you can go back and continue to study and uh, be transformed today as we lean into the Word of God. I, I want to give a quick um, quick disclaimer, if you will, at the top of the message today. Number one, the, the first uh, kind of warning I want to give you is this. Um, my heart and my motivation today 
is to help us fall more in love with Jesus and abide by his word. The second disclaimer I want to give you today is this. At some point today, you probably will not like what I have to say. You might feel like your toes are being stepped on. You disagree with it. I want to encourage you to keep your ears and heart open and listen all the way to the end. And uh, if you're not offended within the first 15 minutes, just wait. I'm sure I'll do it at some point. And uh, we'll all go to the cross and find Jesus at the end of it all together. Anyways, and some of you are like, oh my gosh, what did I get myself into? What is about to happen? Uh, and, and to be honest, I, I feel as a pastor in a local community, in this context, into your home, at whatever level of relationship we have, I, I, I uh, number one, consider it an honor week after week to, to stand and deliver the word. I do it with great humility and awe and reverence, knowing that scripture says, I will be more judged strictly than anybody because of the things that come out of my mouth from this place. Um, but I, I have a heavy heart uh, as it relates to some of the ways that I am seeing believers, followers of Jesus, interacting one with another. And as we get into this subject, the illustrations of Jesus, and we look at one of the parables that Jesus told, um, he speaks clearly to us about some harsh realities and the way we are to respond. And I believe you might be a little bit surprised at uh, the response Jesus asks us to take in response to some of the evil, some of the suffering, some of the pain, some of the, the desire that we would have to judge or criticize someone else. And Jesus has some clear words for us today. So Matthew 13, let's go to the word and uh, everybody smile real fast because I know that hit it real heavy, but I had to give you a little bit of heads up uh, this morning so that we could jump into it. Matthew 13, starting at verse 24, this is what Jesus said. Jesus told them another parable. He said, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed his seed in a field, but while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and then he went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, don't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did all of these weeds come from? I ask the same question in my yard every single year. Where did all of these weeds come from? And the servant asked him that question, and then he replied, No, because while you are... Uh, or the, excuse me, where, I lost my place. I made a, a joke that didn't work, and now I'm trying to find where it is in the scripture. Then the owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, don't you sow good seed in your fear? Where did the weeds come from? And he said, An enemy did this, he replied. The servant asked him, Do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered. Because while you are pulling the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles, and then they can be burned. Then gather the wheat and bring them into my barn. And I love Jesus. He doesn't assume that we're going to get it and understand it the first time. So, uh, and the disciples were in the same way. In verse 36, the, the conversation picks up, and the crowds had left, and they'd went into the house, and his disciples came and said, um, Jesus, could you uh, rewind that and play that back and tell us what that parable means? Can you explain it to us? And so Jesus answered, well, the one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. The field, it is the world, 
And the good seed stands for the people of the kingdom. The weeds are the people of the evil one. And the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is in the end of the age, and the harvesters are angels. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels. As the weeds are then pulled up and burned in the fire, that's the way it will be because every weed out of his kingdom that causes sin and all who do evil, that is what will be burned. They will throw them into the blazing furnace where, they will, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The righteous will shine like the sun. They will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. And then Jesus gives us this final alert. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Here. Now, truth be told, and this won't be shocking to those of you that have been around Faith Church for a little while, when it comes to crops, I am incredibly ignorant. When it comes to plants and farming and the whole shebang, I know really nothing, actually. Uh, I remember the first times we were visiting here in Kansas and we'd be driving through and I was looking at the landscape as I would often do. I, I remember looking and saying to my wife, oh, that must be some really great wheat. And she just lovingly said, no, those are actually beans. Oh, got, got it. Beans. Check. Got it. Uh, refined beans? No. Okay. That's the only beans that I really knew at that moment in time. And then we drive a little further. It's like, oh, look at all of that wheat. How cool. She goes, um, actually, that's just prairie grass. Oh, <laughs> prairie grass. Got it. Check. Got noted. Thank you so much. Oh, look at all that prairie grass. No, babe, that's actually wheat. I give up. I'm done. It wasn't too long ago I was out in our flower garden in our, uh, the front of our house, and I was pulling weeds out of the garden. And as I was pulling weeds, my wife comes running out of the house. She goes, babe, 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 did you pull up that one green thing? I'm like, that one green thing? Like, I'm not sure what you're referring to. I'm pulling weeds. She goes, no, 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 no. Did you pull up that, that green uh, plant right there? I was like, yeah. She goes, I just planted that. Uh, okay, I'm sorry. So from that day forward, the garden is all her responsibility. I'll take care of the front yard and backyard. She gets the garden. I'm not pulling up any more weeds because I obviously don't know the difference. I think that's what Jesus is trying to communicate to us as it, as it relates to the evil that is done in the world and the people that we would look at and say they are evil in their hearts. You don't know the difference, so don't pull it up. Evil and suffering in our world, it exists, does it not? You don't have to look very far and you begin to see that there is an absence of morality and in that place there is an evil experience. Suffering, pain, injustice. You see things like genocide that take place in other countries, mass killings. You see things like abortion, hatred, racism, murder, sex trafficking, rape abuse of all kinds you don't have to look far in our world and you see these things that are atrocious that i believe break the heart of god that are at its core evil and wrong and anytime there is evil there is suffering 
on the other end. And we live in a world where we experience this evil and this suffering, and it's not abstract alone, it's actually personal. See, because for every person who experiences suffering, who experiences loss, who experiences death of someone too young, when, when you experience drunk driving that, that, that brings a crash and a wreck, and because of somebody else's recklessness, now your life is wrecked too. It's not just abstract, it's personal. I remember when my mom got the call that her mom, my grandmother, who lived in St. Louis at the time, was in a terrible car accident. I believe it was around Thanksgiving. It may have been Thanksgiving Day. Got, she was in a wreck, and from that day on was left to a nursing facility, mostly paralyzed in her legs and left side. I remember thinking, that doesn't seem right. Why don't I get a healthy grandma in my life? I remember standing jaw-dropped as a 13-year-old, looking at the TV screen one Wednesday night as we were running late now for church because Oklahoma City bombing had occurred and now people were dead and nobody understood what was going on. And the chase was now on for these two gentlemen. And I remember trying to grapple as a 13-year-old with now this evil and suffering and injustice and wondering, God, what is going on? I, I remember in high school traveling up to St. Louis to now bury my mom's mom, my grandmother, a sweet, funny, full of spark and spunk Lebanese woman. We didn't call her grandma, we called her Daita because that's Lebanese for grandmother. She made the best Lebanese food and I remember sitting there wondering in my mind, did she make it to heaven or did she not? Wondering, wondering, wondering. I remember when, maybe another year later, I shared this story before, but remember this foster baby that we were taking care of who was on tubes and all sorts of things because her mother during uh, the pregnancy and leading up to it was addicted to crack cocaine and it took its toll on the baby. And while it is true the mother carried the baby to full term and did not abort it, the baby's life still was not long lived beyond it. And while justice and righteousness were experienced on one end, on the other side, we were left taking care of a child who needed great care, who we fell in love with but then died. And left wondering why so much evil, why so much suffering and pain and trying to reconcile it see evil and suffering and pain. It's not just abstract. For many of us, it's even personal. Because it's a divorce. It's a, 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 a failure on one side. It's infidelity in a marriage. It's a child that walks away from the faith. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a, a relative who can't overcome their addiction. It's the pain and the evil and the injustice that we feel in our world. And the reality is evil exists. You say, Pastor, why does evil exist? Well, at its most basic truth, what we see from this passage is that evil exists because Satan exists. And Satan exists to sow evil into the world that we live in. Ephesians 6 verse 12 
Paul writes and he says, listen, your struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against politicians that you agree with and you disagree with. Your, your wrestling is not against people who are making rules to try to limit your freedoms. Your, your, your struggle is not really against the evil spouse that has abused your children. It's not, it's not the genocide that you experience. It's not really flesh and blood. It's, it's actually against authorities and powers and darkness in our world, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly and unseen realms. That's really where the battle lies. And so evil exists because Satan exists. But for many people, we're left wrestling with this idea of evil in our world and suffering in our world, and it's a personal thing. And so we find ourselves blaming God for evil. And maybe you've been there, and, and I can relate. I remember walking through and wrestling out these things. But you know, blaming God for evil would be the same as praising Satan for the good. I've never once said, oh, praise Satan, that was a good thing. Never once in my life. And I would venture to say you've never said that either. To blame God for evil would be like blaming Satan and praising him for the good. The reality is the Bible and Christianity and our Christian worldview and our understanding of truth and scripture, it actually does answer and address this idea of evil and suffering. Jesus himself is addressing evil and suffering in our world. And every world religion that you would want to follow or consider following or research, you will find that they have to answer this question too. I happen to believe that Christianity provides the best answer. It's not the perfect one. It's not the one how I would answer it. it. There are certain things that I'm like, yeah, but. But it is the best one that I have found. When it comes to the new age approach to life, they would simply look at evil and suffering as everything is ultimately and inherently good and everything is a God on its own. You're a God, I'm a God, my dog's a God, the tree's a God, therefore it is all good. And it essentially says evil doesn't exist at all because everything is inherently good just being recreated. Hinduism comes and doesn't really answer, doesn't give us any hope, doesn't give us any answer. It's just saying it is what it is because of karma. And in other words, the person who's experienced suffering did something evil on their own to deserve the suffering. You can't end it. You can't change it. If you circumvent it now and help them out of their suffering, they're just going to experience it again in a later life because what goes around has to come around. And I don't really believe that's the best answer available. Atheism comes along and this idea of evil and suffering is known as the rock of atheism where Atheists believe in themselves that because there is evil and suffering, therefore a God cannot exist. Surely these two things can exist simultaneously. But I would argue that it can because the very fact that you would be able to identify that this is evil has to come from somewhere and someplace. There has never been a tiger that looks at the mauling of a little uh, prey as evil or murder because animalistic instincts don't really have a morality compass to them and so there has to be a god just because there is evil it doesn't mean that there is no god and man i believe in response now christianity comes along and it offers a different approach to the evil and suffering that we experience 
And the answer falls into the place of there is a God who sees you, who knows you, who sent his son to live among you and experience the full brunt of suffering and evil on the cross for you so that one day your faith in him could lead you to a place where you can spend eternity without the existence or presence of evil or sin. That there is coming a day when there will be a new heaven and a new earth that are established where this earth is renovated and renewed and restored. And there will be a removal of not only sin, but those who perpetuate the evil among us. They will be justly judged by God. Justice will be served. And in the meantime, you and I are not left alone, but rather we are in a place where God Almighty wants to come and abide in your life personally. And walk with you even through your darkest moments and days. That's the good news of Jesus. That's the gospel in a nutshell. See, I believe that Jesus wants us to understand that God is all-knowing and we are not. God is long-suffering and we're not. God is a just judge. Therefore, we are not. God knows how to play the long game with humanity. God knows how to play the long game in your life. God knows how to play it out patiently waiting for you and I to turn in our own sin and and our own willingness to perpetuate sin and to be evil and to act with animosity in our hearts towards other humanity. He knows that if he waits and he's waiting and waiting so that you and I will one day wake up and recognize the evil that exists even in our own hearts and our own lives. And he's waiting and he's patient. He's just, and he's merciful. Justice and vengeance are God's responsibility. Justice and vengeance are, are, are God's domain. First, Second Peter 3, verse 9 says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. In other words, to redeem, to restore, to return, and set things right. He's not slow in keeping his promise, as some would understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you. Not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Friends, every person that, as you sit there and you watch the news or you scroll through your feed and in your mind you're saying, that person is evil, that's wrong, that's a sin, I don't agree, that's this, that's that. Friends, can I tell you that one day God will bring justice and judgment in the areas that it needs to be? That it is his domain and his actions that will come. Listen, Jesus is the one. Jesus is the only one that can change somebody else's heart. Jesus is the one that transforms our hearts. You might be sitting there thinking, yeah, but, but pastor, we need Jesus and we need laws. I would agree. We do. See, laws protect humanity from the people who are unwilling to have their heart changed. So yeah, we need laws, and we need Jesus. But at the end of the day, Jesus is the one who gets to be the judge, not you and not me. Because you don't know the difference between weeds and wheat. I don't know the difference between weeds and wheat. And so my desire is to continue to fall in love with Jesus, to let my heart be right, to allow him to to speak life to me, so that when I look out in the world, I'm not tempted to pull up the wrong someone recently asked me uh, what I did for a living which is just my absolute favorite question let me tell you 
Because the minute you answer the question, either they have an agenda, they have a past hurt, or they change who they are. And you no longer get to deal with the real them. But this gentleman who was in his early 70s, he, he had told me that, he asked me what I did, and I told him I was a pastor. And he says, oh, do you belong to any civic political organizations in town? And he was pretty eager, and I just looked at him, and I said, no, sir. He says, but, but why? Couldn't believe that I wasn't. And I says, well, I really believe that there's power in focus, and I've just chosen to focus all of my attention and time and energy on helping people fall in love with Jesus. I just happen to believe that's the best use of my time in our congregation and in our community. He goes, but don't they do the same thing? And I said, no, sir, they don't. I said, they're actually different. I said, one is an outcome and one is the source. One leads to the other, but the other can't lead to the other. In other words, when your heart gets set on fire for Jesus, when Jesus begins to transform your life, you become a better civic citizen. You become a better participant in the world. Why? Because Jesus changes and challenges your assumptions, your prejudices, and your right to judge. He changes your heart and makes you a better you, a resurrected version, representing him in the world that you live in. But to do things only civically and, and politically, that doesn't lead people to the cross. So I just choose to start at the source and let the fruit be what it needs to be in the end. Weeds in this parable were almost undistinguishable, or you couldn't define the distinction between the weeds and the wheat. When Jesus used the word weeds, he was talking about a specific breed. It, it's called darnell. And darnell is this weed that, that can be poisonous to other crops, especially wheat, and it looks by the naked eye identical to a stem of wheat. You can't visually really see the difference unless you are well-trained and skilled and have the proper knowledge to do so. See, evil is what's represented by the weeds sown by the devil. And I found it interesting, and I don't mean to be cheesy or hokey and not trying to be overly simplistic, but I found it interesting that the word evil is the word live spelled backwards. I'll give you a minute to spell it out in your mind. E-V-I-L is the word live, L-I-V-E spelled backwards. And anytime we live our lives backwards from the truth of God and God's best, evil will be the result. I just, it's going to be the result. When we see acts of immorality, when we see uh, acts that we find unjust, when we see things that we, we would even say approaches and infringes upon our freedom, we obviously want to create punishment in that way. We want to pull the weed. We want to remove the bad people and just start it all over again. But the problem is we don't get the right to categorically write people off. We don't get to do that. That's not our place listen there is no perfect church there is no such thing as a utopian society void of moral degradation and so much of, of what's happening in the landscape of our world and, and especially in the realm of politics but even among church people right now 
is blaming the others for the weeds that exist or what we perceive as weeds. And some of it, I think, is accurate and some of it isn't. But it's not up to me. It's not up to you. We have to stop spending our time being weed inspectors and to become wheat producers. You might not agree with the people making the laws in the country. Vote different next time. But until that time comes, let's live with a little bit of honesty. Recognizing that ultimately we don't get to judge the hearts and the thoughts and the motives of somebody else. That alone is God's responsibility. Listen, I, I, I will be the first one to admit that the church and church folk alike ain't got it together. We don't. We miss it. We mess it up. We, we skew to one side. We call one thing one way. And if we want to find a verse to back up our opinion, you absolutely are going to find a verse to back up your opinion. Wear a mask, don't wear a mask. Vaccine, don't vaccine. Vote this way, don't vote that way. Think this way, don't think that way. If you want to find a verse for your opinion, it's going to be out there. But in the meantime, the world is watching the church pull each other up and uproot each other thinking, no thanks. No thanks. We yell and scream because uh, a pastor says black lives matter, which is actually true. And if it will help your, your ideology for me to say it this way, black lives matter to Jesus. Now do you want to argue? And it's true. You, you can't lump and assume that they're associating that one phrase with every other person who associates that phrase because you don't really know what they mean when they say that because you think it means this and that and this and you saw this one organization that you don't agree with but you don't know that that's what it means because you don't know if it's a weed or if it's wheat. So don't pull it up. I'm just hitting some of the topics and some of the hotbed issues and some of the things that exist in our world today, I believe God's plan is to bring the message of, rege of redemption through his local church. I'm not going to bail on you. I'm not going to bail on the people who call on the name of the Lord. I'm not giving up the mission or this post that God has sent me to. I believe that as long as there is breath in my lungs and breath in their lungs, they are not beyond the redemption of Jesus Christ in any way, shape, or form. I don't care how they vote, how they live, how they think. This is a place they can belong and explore the teachings of Jesus to find life and redemption because he alone transforms hearts. He alone transforms hearts. I think we're living in a season. Hear me, church. And, and if you're not a follower of Jesus, you're just kind of peeking in for the next few minutes on, a, on an in-house family conversation. And I'm glad you're listening in. Church, I believe that so many of us, I heard somebody else say this and it made so much sense to me recently, that so much of what's happening from the church and as people of God who love God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, that there is a spirit of fear that is being permeated in our midst and it's not fear of catching a virus, it's fear of being deceived or seeing other people deceived. So we're more committed to spewing rhetoric than taking responsibility. We're more committed to try and create a retort to every post, every statement, and everything. 
rather than just letting God be the judge and he's going to sort it out, I believe in our hearts, if we can just fall in love with Jesus, we'll create an alternative that other people will be like, I'm not liking what I'm seeing in the world, but those Jesus people, they seem to have a life, a joy, a peace, something that I don't have. They're treating, they don't agree, but they're not disagreeable in their disagreements. Listen, there is room in the house of God for you to have a different opinion. It's not the end-all, be-all. And at the end of the day, become a healthy stem of wheat, not a piece of weed. I think truth exposing evil is in another person where you don't agree with them, where you think they're off base, you don't think it's right, you think they're, they're missing the mark. I think all of that is best done within the context of a relationship, not through public rhetoric. No one said, oh, I changed my mind and decided to follow Jesus and change how I vote because somebody posted a really cool meme and they shared enough videos and I finally felt conviction. But within the context of relationships where there are people who love and serve and give, there is healthy dialogue and that is how the body of Christ is meant to work. It is a group of people that God ordains and says, this is the family. You don't get to choose your family. I'm setting you in this family. And you may not like it. You may not agree with everything, but you learn to get along because there's something greater at play. And at the end of the day, within the context of a relationship, you try to bring a uh, confrontation. If they don't change, hear me. Your heart of love towards them doesn't get to change either. And if the world around you isn't changing their heart, isn't changing their mind, isn't changing whatever it is that you're annoyed by, just know your heart of love towards them doesn't get to change either. Because in the end of the day, what we end up doing is we start pulling weeds and throwing it out, but we actually not just pull weeds, we're actually passing and executing a judgment. And ultimately what is happening is we're, we're pulling the weeds, or we're, let me say it this way, when we pull what we think is a weed, we're actually pulling up our trust in God's justice and judgment. When you stand in the judgment seat of somebody else, you have now taken the place of Christ. He's the only one that gets to see it, sit in the seat of judgment. Well, pastor, when do we get to judge? Don't, isn't, isn't, doesn't the Bible talk about we get to judge certain things? Yeah, it talks about some things. Here's, here's what I believe the Bible teaches when it comes to judgment. You get to judge and examine your own motives against what God's word said is true and right. You get to judge your motives. You get to judge words of prophecy against the character and the nature and the truth of God and his word. Does it line up with the truth of God or does it not? You get to examine fruit to see whether it is good fruit or bad fruit. But that doesn't mean you get to judge somebody as to whether they are evil or they are righteous. Just their fruit. And judging is best done in the context of understanding. It's about creating healthy boundaries to where you recognize that is fruit that I want to have in my life or that is fruit I do not want to have in my life. But not this is an evil person going to hell or this is a good person going to heaven. That's the difference. And there is a distinction. And the reason oftentimes we, we would judge or have confrontation conversations is for the sake of reconciliation and redemption, not destruction and condemnation. We have a hard time di discerning or, 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 or creating a distinction between good fruit and bad fruit without passing a condemning, judging sentence on somebody's soul. And when someone perpetuates evil, we look and we say, oh, 
It's got to break the heart of God. That's not good. But we cannot also wholeheartedly condemn and write them off because as long as there is breath in their lungs, Jesus died for them too. And if they were to repent, would you gloat? Be frustrated like Jonah? Would you gloat in the fact that I was right? I knew it happened. And your heart towards them is still bitter and evil because the issue really is hatred and a lack of control in your own life. And people aren't doing what it is that you want them to do. Listen, I, I don't get to execute a judgment sentence on someone. We don't get to write off or condemn anyone. No one is beyond the grace of God as long as there's breath in the lungs. Because we have a hard time separating weeds and wheat, so let God alone do that. And oftentimes we're like, well, pastor, I'm just, exe- I'm just exercising the de- gift of discernment, pastor. What we call discernment is oftentimes really just a spirit of criticism and a critical spirit. We cloak it in religion so that we can judge and say what we want to say. Just, there is no gift, by the way, in the Bible called the gift of discernment. It's called discerning of spirits. It's an enablement of the Holy Spirit in our lives where he enables us in a moment to distinguish whether or not that is a spirit in line with God or a spirit of an antichrist against God. A spirit that says this person believes that Jesus is the son of God or, or it's a different, different spirit. If this is a, a situation, an environment that is being controlled by a spirit of fear, intimidation, manipulation, is there something spiritual at play? By, it's a discerning of spirits. And I pray we would all walk in understanding those things. But just remember this, friends. When you go and you examine the field of your life and your world and you're looking to distinguish weeds and wheat, the same measure of judgment you use will be measured back to you, Jesus said in Luke chapter 6. In the same way you measure judgment, it's going to be measured back to you. In the same way you measure the amount of grace you give, that's the amount that's being measured back to you. The same amount of forgiveness you're willing to give is the same amount that others will be willing to give back to you. The the same measure of love that you're willing to give is the same measure that's coming back. The same measure of empathy is the same measure that's coming back to you. God is the just judge. We are not. Joel 2.13 says, return to the Lord your God. For he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, and abounding in love. And he relents from sending calamity. This is what I want to spend my life doing, pointing people to God who who loves them in a deep, rich way. Our job is not to argue and speak out in a way that tells people they need to repent. Our job is to live in such a way that they realize that they want to repent. Follow Jesus. It's not about manipulation. It's about motivation. Because they look and they see your life and they're like, man, they they react different. They respond different. They they think different. You're like, Pastor, how do we get there? Three things real fast. And then we'll come to the Lord's table together. How do we live in this tension of the evil that we see and the righteousness that we long for? How do we live in this moment where where we know here and now we're living in a time and a space where, where we know here in this moment there is evil, there is suffering, there is sin, there are things that don't look like it's righteous or good or just. We know we're living in this moment 
and yet God hasn't come yet. We need him to show up. We need his interaction. God, would you come? Would you be here? Would you help? How do we live in this moment where we find ourselves today, where there are things that we agree with and we don't agree with, where we see people that we're like, ah, we know that's not right, but yet they're still living in that way. How do we live in this moment? Three things, really simple, really practical, and really quick. Number one, we pray. You pray. You repent. You lament. You pray. You pray for your heart to stay soft. You, you pray for Jesus to intervene and to be close in the moment. You, you pray for safety and deliverance like he did in John 17 and taught us to do in the Lord's Prayer. You pray. You pray for Jesus to return. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. And would you set things right? We pray. Number two, we remove the weeds of self-righteousness from our own life we focus more on the fruit of our lives than being a fruit examiner in someone else's life if you and I would spend more energy in bearing good fruit we wouldn't have to try to convince others that their fruit is bad they would just be able to taste and see that God is good Remove the weeds. Do you grieve the evil that occurred? Or are you grieving that the soul who did the evil is likely a soul bound for hell? Let me pose it to you another way. Do you grieve abortion? You should. But do you equally grieve for the soul committing that act that they are lost and on their way to hell? with the same amount of frustration and angst and lament. Because which soul does God love more, the, the baby that is unborn or the person committing the act? Which soul did Jesus die for? Are, are you more concerned with masks and those wearing them or not wearing them that you forget that every person behind a mask is also a person that Jesus died for. And every person not wearing a mask is a person that Jesus died for. Weeds are wheat, weeds are wheat. You don't know, so just love people and let Jesus be God. These are questions that the Spirit of God has been asking me lately. Two weeks ago, I got really frustrated. Pretty dark, self-pity was abounding. When even in our community, we were unable to progress to the next phase of reopening, which meant church and returning into this building to worship among you and be with you. It was not an easy couple of weeks for me. But I eventually heard the voice of the Lord whisper and say, quit throwing yourself a pity party and go speak faith to people again. I had to pull some weeds in my own life. Pray. Remove the self-righteous weeds from your own life. And three, serve others. Serve them. Steward your responsibility more than you spew rhetoric. When you serve someone else with a pure heart and motive, it opens their heart to the Jesus that lives in you that you want them to encounter. Just serve them. No strings attached. 
no manipulation involved so that one day they'll ask you and you'll be able to like tell them how they're wrong in their political views and the way that they're parenting and whatever else is bothering you. No strings attached, just service. Friends, the more that the Son of God shines, the more weeds wither in hearts. Because the brighter and hotter the sun gets, and the more exposure to sun that weeds get, they begin to wither away. Because ultimately they're unhealthy at the root. Your job is just to shine brighter like the noonday sun, the love of God, letting people see Jesus so clearly that any weeds that would exist in their life and in your life begin to wither away because the Son of God is shining brighter and brighter. Romans 12, 17 through 21. Don't repay anyone for evil with evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone on Facebook. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it's written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. And on the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil. That's why we come to the table of the Lord. That's why we take the bread and we drink the juice. Why? Because it is reminding us that ultimately the Son of God will reign and rule and it will shine brighter than the noonday sun and all that is wrong in the world will eventually be made right and until that day comes, we hold steady to the confession of our faith that he who began a good work in you and me is faithful to complete it. That means the weeds that are in your life and the weeds that are in my life, God the gardener is gonna reveal to you. I don't have to do it. You don't have to do it. God's gonna speak to you. He's gonna speak to me. As we come to the Lord's table, I want us to pray aloud a prayer of confession. As we set our hearts right before the Lord today, this prayer of confession is going to be up on the screen and it'll come up online as well. And I want us to pray this out loud together from our hearts as we get ready to prepare for communion. Would you pray this with me? Let's pray it together. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbor as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. Father, as we get ready to receive these elements, would those words be true of us? It was that night when he took the bread with his disciples. He blessed it and he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Every time you do this, remember me. Let's partake of the Lord's body together.
And in the same way, he took a cup, lifted it to heaven, blessed it, and he said, this is, this cup is a new covenant, a new partnership that I'm making with you. It removes and forgives your sins. And as people of God, when you drink this, we do so proclaiming that Christ is in us, that he is changing us, even though we are still imperfect ourselves. But the forgiveness that abounds in us is available to give for others as well. And that's what we proclaim together as we, as we partake, partake of these meals. Now, Lord, I pray that today, the words of my mouth, Lord, the words that came from my heart, and I believe from you, Lord, if there was anything in there that wasn't of you, would you just sift that away? But Lord, the things of truth that I've said today, would they just stick in our hearts and allow us to come closer to you? This week, God, may the words of our mouth and the meditations of our heart be pleasing to you. Oh, Lord, our God, our strength, our redeemer, you are the just judge. You see all and know all. And may we honor you with everything that we have this week as we proclaim your goodness and your kingdom that is coming. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you turn your attention to the screen, please? What a life-giving message we just heard from Pastor Matthew. If you were encouraged or, or felt your faith strengthened because of our time today, it's likely someone needs to hear this too. Would you share the link to the service on your, your social networks or text it to a friend? We believe God can use that simple act to begin transforming someone's life. Also, to, to complement this collection of messages, we've put together a reading plan that journeys through the teachings of Jesus. This reading plan is a journal with daily readings for 13 weeks, and we have a free copy for you. You can pick up a copy in the lobby if you're at the church, or if you're online, you can download a free PDF copy from the Central Hub, which is faithchurchks.org under the reading plans. Well, here at Faith Church, we are always making room for more people, and we want to utilize the opportunities to bring life-giving services to all people. With our growing online services, we have opportunities for you to serve as an online host during these services. For more information, if, if that sounds like something God could use you in, in becoming an online host, visit the Central Hub and click on Serve Teams and look for Online Hosts. Well, whether you're on site today or online, it is so good to be with you today. We are the body. We love you and may grace and peace rest upon you this week.